0: Good morning, church. Welcome to this week's online Sunday School lesson. I'm glad you could join us today. We are in Lesson 10 of our uh, Job series, and today's title is The Wisdom of Youth. There are a number of passages in today's lesson, and so we're going to take them in chunks as we we go through it. So let me get our our presentation started. And again, thank you for being here today. We appreciate you tuning in. So our first passage is Job 32, one through five. So these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. So Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite said, I am young in years and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom, but it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the almighty that gives them understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, but not only the age to understand what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me, I will tell you what I know. So, who is this Elihu? Ella Elihu. Ella and I kind of did a funny Elihu who. <laughs> so, um, Elihu is Job's fourth friend. He was so unknown that his full pedigree had to be given so people could identify him. Um, that's kind of seen there in Job 32 2. But unlike the other three friends who just were given the place where they were from and obviously they were well known enough that that was all that was needed. We see here that we're told his, the name of his father, his family and his clan. Um, he had quite a resume of, of lineage though because it, it takes him clear back to Abraham's brother. And so he was one of the youngest of these four friends and he had listened to them all quietly, silently and uh so the at last though he spoke but he did it with respect he had listened all this time and he had listened carefully because he repeats back some of the things that the other friends say so he was really a gifted speaker and a person who had studied carefully um the word that they had from the lord um the their family traditions that had been passed down. So he represented a perspective that was different from these other three. So what is his approach? Um first, these three friends and Job kind of focused on Job the man. And Elihu spoke about the one who created Job. He was not really trying to prove Job was a sinner, but that Job's view of God was wrong. And he used a theological perspective that was very strong, but he still did it respectfully. And he turned the conversation toward God and not man. So he praised the spirit of God as the source of his life, um, even his young life. And the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy at one point, and he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So as we see young people that are speaking and uh, speaking the, the truth that God has given them, we really want to encourage them to learn and grow and become what God wants them to be because they're, they may have this same kind of gift that Elihu had. His speech was long. It is six chapters in our Bible, and he explained the character of God and applied the truth of Job's situation in a different way. When we look at his, his long speech, it can be divided down into these parts that he is speaking, that God is speaking through Elihu, that God is gracious, God is just, and God is great. And that is an outline that uh, Warren Wiersbe gives us in the um, commentator, commentary that we were given. So he has a different view of suffering. When he introduces this new truth into the d- debate, I mean, he's still very respectful. Um, he still uh, is, is kind about it, but he, he's gonna speak what he knows that God is leading him to speak. And that is that God sends suffering or allows suffering, but it isn't necessarily to punish us for our sins, but to keep us sometimes from sinning. And that's 13 uh, verse 18 and 24. And it helps to make us a better person. Um, And that's in 36, one through 15. And I don't know if you have been in that position where you went through a period of suffering and came out on the other side stronger with a greater knowledge of God and how God helps us. I know I have been there and it has changed me and made me to become more of what God wants me to be. Paul would agree with that, that as well because he recorded that in 2 Corinthians 12, seven through 10 when he was talking about the, this, the thorn in his flesh. And then the writer of Hebrews also would would say that. And you can look at that in Hebrews 12, one through 11, when it talks about the discipline of God. So Elihi was young and he was indignant about these. Four times in these verses, it says that he was angry. He was angry at Job for justifying himself rather than God, and Job had claimed that God was wrong. That was in two. He was angry about the three friends for not refuting Job, and the three friends couldn't prove that Job was wrong, yet they condemned him. That was in 32.3. Elihu was disgusted at their failure and their ineptitude, and he mentioned that again in 32.5. But he still had polite deference toward the older men, although his anger was growing at the four of them. And it created a pressure in his soul to share his knowledge. It says in the scriptures, behold, my belly is like unvented wine, like new wine skins. It is about to burst. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you just, oh, you listen to somebody and you were so ready to speak what you knew to be truth and now there there's a trick to this when when this comes about and aristotle wrote it is easy to fly into a passion anybody can do that but to be angry with the right person to the right extent and at the right time and with the right object and in the right way that is not easy And it is not everyone who can do it. So when we look at this, we need to be very careful about how our anger comes out at others. So in verse 32, we see that Job's sin is unveiled. It says, I mean, Job never claimed to be sinless. He did say he was blameless, which is different. Um, But in 32, it says he was righteous in his own eyes. And Benedict Spinoza, that was in our Warren Worsby series, Be Patient, um, said, a vain man may become proud and imagine himself pleasing to all when he is in reality a universal nuisance. (laughs) So we we do need to watch for our pride and um, imagining ourselves to be better than we are. Job had challenged God either to vindicate him or pass sentence on him. The trial had gone on long enough, and it was time for the judge to act. Job's three friends were silent. They were appalled that Job would dare to speak so boldly to God and about God. They were sure that God's judgment was the next thing on the agenda, and they were waiting. (laughs) They were waiting for that, and God was silent. There is a famous speaker's corner in London, and you may have heard uh, Tom use this illustration in one of his sermons. Um, It is in London's Hyde Park, and a man denouncing Christianity at one point issued this challenge. If there is a God, I will give him five minutes to strike me dead. He took out his watch and waited. Another five minutes, he smiled and said, my friends, this proves there is no God. But there was a Christian believer in the audience, and he called out to him, do you think you can exhaust the patience of Almighty God in five minutes? (laughs) So um, in this case, Job uh, waited and the three friends waited, but God was silent. So let's look at 33, 2 through 4, and 22 through 24. 24. I am about to open my mouth. My words are on the tip of my tongue. And this is Elihu again speaking. My words come from an upright heart. My lips, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. They draw near to the pit and their life to the messengers of death. Yet if there is an angel at their side, a messenger, one out of a thousand sent to tell them how to be upright, And he is gracious to that person and says to God, spare them from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom for them. So Elihu approached his speech with great care. He had respect. And and as we, I guess that's a lesson for us as public speakers and for our ministers and all of us who are speaking to others Um, even a a corrective truth or um, helping them to see God from a different perspective, it's always wise to take great care with what you say and to speak with respect. He didn't cast off the honor that was due to these older folks. Um, Even though they had failed to understand Job's dilemma, Their words were, these words that he spoke were from the integrity of his heart, he says, a sincere, um, from my lips speak knowledge sincerely, it's almost a prayer that he comes across well and he's able to deliver that well. I don't know about you, but that's a prayer that we probably all need to speak um, to God before we approach someone. And it's also a a thing that I, I pray frequently as I'm presenting Sunday school lessons or material or even in my counseling, that I am able to present what God wants me to present in a wise and respectful way. He referenced the breath of the Almighty. And his words are not coming from a superheated opinion that he has, but it is coming by way of inspiration from the very breath of God. And Elihu was young, but God's spirit equipped him for this task at hand. And I do believe there are people that have special skills in this area of hearing from God and being able to to share those truths. Um, In the New Testament, that particular spiritual gift is called the gift of prophecy and also the gift of teaching. So I and I do believe there are people that have those gifts. And in this particular case, this young man had one of those gifts. So we see here the picture of a mediator. Elohim um, paints an awesome picture here. The sinner has been warned in dreams and visions, and there are some passages that they skipped over in this lesson where he talks about this, but they had been warned by dreams and visions. They had been chastened by sickness and suffering. And he's drawing, the sinner is drawing near to the grave and the destroyers, the messengers of death are about to capture him. And that's in 33:22. Then a special messenger suddenly stands up. One among a thousand, and he pleads this case. This messenger has a twofold ministry. He tells the sufferer what he ought to do, that's in verse 23, and then he intercedes with God to have the person restored. Now, it seems likely that this interceding angel is the angel of the Lord, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mediator who gave his life as a ransom for sinners, 1 Timothy 2.5 and Mark 10.45. As the angel of the Lord, the Son of God visited the earth in Old Testament times to deliver special messages and to accomplish certain tasks. And you can see those scriptures there. But Elihu saw this angel not only as a mediator between God and men, but also a provider of ransom for the sinners. Now, I know who that sounds like. Um, That sounds very much like um, the Lord. This is the heavenly mediator that Job was asking for throughout um, all of the passages. He wanted an umpire that was described to, to bring God and he together for a trial. That was in 933. And it was, he wanted a heavenly witness to argue his case before God. That was in 1619. And a redeemer who would vindicate him even after his death in 1925. And the ministry of this angel is purely an act of God's grace. And um, we see that in 33:24, And it says, spare him from going down to the pit I have found a ransom for him and he he accepts the humble sinner who prays and he redeems their lives from the dark pit of in the and leads them to the light of life this is a picture of Jesus our mediator the man in the middle who gave his life as a ransom for sin He also is covering our sins and giving us all reason to shout for joy, even in the storms when life is falling apart. So Elihu explained this, how the Lord demonstrated his mercy toward men. And in Hebrew, the word pit occurs seven times, and five of them are right here in Elihu's address. Job contended that God was going to throw him into the pit God's work, according to Elihu, was not to send him to the darkness of the pit, but to redeem him from it. God's purpose in discipline is to save people from death. And we see that in James 5, 19 through 20, by breaking their pride and bringing them back to a place of obedience. And that's in thirty three seventeen 17 through 18. God seeks to keep us from the pit, from rebellious being rebellious sinners that are drawn near to it. Um, Some people even go down to the pit and into the pit and it's almost too late. And the mediator brings them back from the pit and they are rescued. God doesn't want people to perish. We see that in 2 Peter 3.9. So we really need to look at, you know, are are we ourselves taking ourselves deeper and deeper into the pit? And if so, let's look for that redeemer. Let's see if we can allow ourselves to be rescued by submitting to his um, grace and his mercy. Uh, it, It is hard at times to do that, but before we go too far into the darkness, we need to turn back to the Lord So in Job thirty three twenty five 25 through 30, he says, let their flesh be renewed like a child's. Let them be restored as in the days of their youth. Then that person can pray to God and find favor with him. They will see God's face and shout for joy. He will restore them to full well-being. And they will go to others and say, I have sinned, I have perverted what is right, but I did not get what I deserved. God has delivered me from going down to the pit, and I shall live to enjoy the light of life. God does all of these things to a person two times, three times, many times. I know he's been very patient with me and restoring me each and every time. He wants to turn us back from the pit and the light of life so that the light of life might shine in us. You know, it definitely does sound like our Lord Jesus Christ, who is both mediator and ransom. In that sense, we can easily see the atoning work of Christ as he came and offered his sinless life or a ransom for all. He sees our lives being renewed by salvation, and he comes through the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ. When we see his son, we pray prayers of praise and thanksgiving. We find favor with the father. In Elihu's case, he reminded Job and everyone else that they could shout for joy when they found favor with God who would restore to fullness and peace. And the same is true today. When, When we are just down in that pit, God can bring us, he can redeem us and bring us out of it. L.A.U. reminded his listeners that God was concerned about humanity, and he made a way for reconciliation when their life actions led them toward the pit. It's such a beautiful picture of what God does for us um, how he has always been with us, how he's always been for us, how he desires to be with us, which is something beyond my understanding, but he wants to redeem, he wants to bring us out of the pit, and the pits, sometimes there are many in life. So in our next passage, 35, nine through 10, he says, people cry out with a load of oppression. They plead for relief from the arm of the powerful, but no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? We certainly want to be able to look to God when we're in these dark places. And Elihu doesn't deny that those places happen. He says, people cry out under a load of oppression, a load of suffering. And unfortunately, in this life, that is so often true that we are in that place of oppression but we can, we can reach out to God. It says we can pr- plead for relief from the arm of the powerful. Elihu's message to Job was a reminder that God can and will speak to people in a number of ways. He helped Job to understand God can speak through pain and suffering, dreams and visions, and the ministry of a mediating angel. The problem with Job and his friends was that they had allowed their present circumstances to represent their spiritual relationship with God, and Elihu's message to his senior friend was, your theology is wrong. God has not abandoned you, and he's talking about, he almost gives a prophecy that God will restore him and bring him back to a place where he can Um, call out his name and praise God and and be the person he was before he did acknowledge the pain and suffering of life but he also told the listeners you know where is God my maker instead be thankful to God that there is a messenger and his name is Jesus he's done so much for us Elihu confronted Job with the truth that his cry was a vain noise. It was not rooted in faith. It was a prayer of complaint in response to his affliction. And it did not look to heaven for redress or hope. It's not a prayer at all. So when we pray and when we call out to God, which is perfectly the way we should do things, God is there for us. He listens to us. He is big enough to hear our prayer, but we also want to remember that he is God and he is all powerful. He is the almighty and he has the power to save. We never are hopeless when we have Christ as our savior, when we have been restored to God. So our next passage, Job 37, 14 through 18, he says, listen to this Job, Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised those wonders of him who who has perfect knowledge? You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind, can you join him in spreading out the skies? hard as a mirror in cast bronze. So Elihu's questions are inviting Job to focus on the one who could heal the body, restore the soul and replace the material things of life. Job invited, Elihu invited Job to focus on God. He had challenged God to consider God's wonders um, he basically asks, why does God do all of this for us, Job? You know, the starting point of creation for God shows his goodness as he blesses, creates, and calls all creation good. Uh, this is the expansive, generative, life-giving power that God infuses into ordinary life. Recently, we've studied a book on in, in our counseling on integration of, of theology and Bible into the counseling space. And the writer says, as we think about a God who is for us and desires to be with us, we seek grace. One, he, he writes, I am challenging myself to pay more attention to the goodness of creation noticing the splendor of cedars and oaks and watching the seedlings grow into mature plants and standing amazed at the process, listening to the birds sing, paying attention to the vistas at this, at this, in this gorgeous valley where he lives. And I feel like I am blessed to live in a gorgeous valley. Nature reminds me how much I belong to something bigger than myself. And again, that was from Embodying Integration by Neff and McMinn. It was really a, a nice thought that we, when we are suffering and in a place of darkness or even in the pit, to look up and look beyond us and look around us at what God has already done for us and really appreciate the wonders. Um, that he is showing and that demonstrate who he is all around us. So our last passage is Job 37, 19 through 24. Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would anyone ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun bright as it is in the skies after the wind has swept them clear clean out of the north he comes in golden splendor God comes in awesome majesty the almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power and in his justice and great righteousness he does not oppress therefore people revere him for he does not have regard for all the wise in heart. In our study guide on pages 135 and 136, it says, Job thought he could stand face to face with God and question him. And we hear Elihu saying, get real, Job. Um, Wait a minute, can't you, uh, who among us can question an infinite God? We are too finite. Who can understand the mind of God? Certainly not man's limited understanding. Man cannot even look at the sun without being blinded. The Almighty is beyond our reach. And in the previous passage, he talks about, you know, we don't, we we know how things work now through science, but we still can't create lightning or create the clouds or or how our world functions. We don't have that capability. God is the only one that does. The God who governs storms in nature also controls the storms we face. So let's listen to Elihu's pointed questioning as he challenged Job to turn from his haughty pride, which was in 32.1, and become a humble follower of God Are we allowing our circumstances to represent our spiritual relationship with God and feeling that God has abandoned us? What should be our response to God when we're in those spaces, when storms arise in our life? And even if if life seems like it's falling apart, God is still God. He is still almighty. He is still all powerful. He is still who he is. So is God working in your life today? Do you need to turn back to him in the midst of your struggle or suffering or just the daily difficulties of life? If so, I hope you'll take this day and this moment and appreciate nature, appreciate who God is and turn back to him. He is there for us, even in the midst of the darkness and the dark pit. Thank you for joining me today. And I will just close in prayer and lift that up to to the Lord. Holy Father, thank you for this passage. You have given us insight into who you are and that you provided a redeemer for us, a mediator for us, a person to rescue us and ransom us from the pit. Lord, we may be in a dark space today, but you are there with us. You are crying for us. You are crying with us. You are sharing our suffering. And Lord, I know that when you teach us what you need to teach us or show us what needs to be seen, you can bring us to a different place place of light, a place of rejoicing, a place of sharing your joy. So we just lift that up to you today, Lord. Help us to examine ourselves and see where we are in the midst of this, to know what we need to do as our next step. We lift it all up in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks again.